Hey guys, you're listening to In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein. I am Neil Rubenstein, and today I will be sitting in traffic, talking on the phone with Johnny Cupcakes, who uh, does a clothing line called Johnny Cupcakes. You know, because that's his name. All right. Hello? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, Johnny? Just eating a little banana. Yeah. And uh You're busy uh you're busy as shit, man, huh? Yeah, I I am busy. Some some days I feel like I built a prison around myself, but um but most of the time I'm I'm uh I love that I'm busy. I love yeah, just like like to do things. Um, been doing the t-shirts for a while now, about fifteen years this year. Uh, the Johnny Cupcakes business has been been around, and still a family-run brand out of Boston. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been going great. I got married in October on Long Island. Congratulations! Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, and I, you know, on. Every other week, I, I travel and teach entrepreneurship at different universities and uh, different businesses and um, good ideas for other companies I want to start someday. But I think event my my goal is to is to play more ping pong competitively and <laughs> to, and and to write children's books, and that is what I am trying to do. Really, uh, write children's books, huh? Yeah. I I have a habit of making up fake things, not not in a like a liar type way, but more in a jokester way. So, for instance, my dad, growing up, my dad would always uh, at the dinner table, he'd always, you know, he'd be reading the newspaper and he'd pretend that he's reading an article. And he's like, oh, would you look at that? That carnival that you're you're looking forward to going to next week is actually uh, burnt up in flames. So we'll have to wait till next year. That's okay. And uh, you know, as a kid, that it, I knew he was joking, so it would make me laugh. So nowadays, I'm always when I go out to eat, I ask for things on the menu that don't exist, and I'll point in like a general area of the menu, so it still takes them about 60 seconds to figure out that I'm just joking around with them. And, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I, and I want to make kids clothes too. I feel like I make kids clothes for adults and that's been successful. So by making kids clothes for kids, that should be pretty easy. And then, you know, I, I feel like I could come up with some pretty fun children's books and, uh, yeah. And that's that, but yeah, still making the shirts. We've got a, a team of about 30 people right now and we uh we've got our e-commerce site and we've got a, a couple of shops but we're trying to focus more on pop-up shops so we travel around and theme the shops differently we'll pop up in a city or a different uh country just for 24 hours and uh have special you, edition t-shirts how do you how do you arrange something like that i saw the tour it's like that to me is cool, like the coolest thing, because that's the two. I mean, you know, it's touring, which I love, and then it's your own business, which is sick. 
So uh, how do you, like, are you renting out space? Are you doing it at VFW? I don't understand just what, what's happening. So uh, it's different. I've done pop-up shops in the strangest places. And so I have my stores. And if anyone who's listening doesn't know much about the Johnny Cupcakes brand, I started a T-shirt brand um, advertising a bakery that doesn't even exist. Uh, and as it grew, you know, I sold T-shirts. And uh, by being straight edge and not you know, not partying my whole life, I've always had this extra time, extra energy, and extra money to to try things out. I, I started about 16 businesses before I was 16 years old. Uh, I, I did, when I was eight years old, I used to do magic at birthday parties, and I would get paid 20 bucks a half hour. Um, I'd sell candy in school while my friends sold drugs, and, you know, I'd make more money than they did, and they would They'd be like, how did you make that much money? I'm like, guys, you actually bought most most of the candy from me because you had the munchies. And uh, <laughs> so that that was good. I, you know, I sold glow sticks around 4th of July. I DJed with real records and no laptop. And I, I, I've always just tried things. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily to make money, but it was to have this puzzle, this hands-on puzzle. And, and I, you know, I had learning difficulties in school, and I had to take different tests, and I had to get put into a charter school. But I, I never looked at it as a learning disability. I looked at it as a as a superpower because I knew right away what I did not want to do, which was like all of my homework. But when yes. I did find, you know, one or two things that I liked, I would almost obsess over it, whether that be, you know, collecting toys or, or starting a business or learning magic tricks and. And my family's always been supportive, and you know, I tried to tried going to college for a little bit, but it wasn't for me. And um, they've just always been great. And my my goal ever since I started selling lemonade when I was a kid was to someday be able to afford to uh, work with my family so that I could spend more time with the people that I love. And and that has happened. I've been able to hire my mom, my dad, my sister, and we've opened up stores and pop-up shops in Los Angeles, London, uh, Martha's Vineyard, Boston. And it's, uh, it's great. It's a dream come true. And, and um, the stores that we've opened look and smell like bakeries. We package the shirts in pastry boxes. We display T-shirts in commercial refrigerators. And we trick hungry people every single day. So I still get to be a jokester. And uh, we, have ter- we, have, we have terrible reviews. On all those I love that. <laughs> um, I love but that so what's, what's really funny is we've we've even gone as far as uh, selling real cupcakes on April Fool's Day, and we've hid all of our T-shirts. So we've had customers drive from New York to Boston to go to our shop on Newbury Street and to buy T-shirts. And we were, why would we sell T-shirts? We're a bakery. And then we also had people coming in naturally looking for cupcakes, like they normally do. And buying cupcakes, and it was great. We even made you know a few thousand dollars that day. But then the next day, those cupcake customers came back, and you know were upset. And the <laughs> t-shirt customers uh, never really came back because they drove all the way here from New York and just did not leave happy. But they all, everybody left with an experience, though. And that's um, you know that's one of the things I always talk about is no matter what you do, whether it be 
a podcast, whether you're in a band opening a restaurant, doing photography, or, or starting a clothing line. Um, everything's been done before, so now more than ever, yep. it's so important to stand out, and it can't be one or two things, and you can't get too comfortable. And and uh, but that's the fun of it. You get to, you know, you get to reinvent yourself all the time and set some some fun goals. So um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what I do, and. And as the brand has grown, um, you know, I, I've, you know, I did this to spend more time with my family. And but the, you know, there are some days where I, I feel like there's so much stuff to do that, that it's it's tough. That I, you know, I there's some days where I want to scale things back a little bit and just keep it simple because, you know, I just got married and I've and I really do want to play more ping pong and I really do want to write children's books. And, um, so I, I think I'm going to work toward having a, a more flexible, uh, work life balance and, and see, uh, see how that goes. But it's definitely been an interesting, interesting run. Um, when, for sure. When did you realize that? Cause I, I remember, you know, you playing in the band and, and just selling the shirts like at the merch table, at, at what point did it become like, holy shit, like I can do this for a living for like my life? So, uh, yeah, touring with the band, you know, I, I'd wear these T-shirts. Uh, so I was making, I was working at Newberry Comics in Braintree, Massachusetts at the time, record shop, and I had all these random nicknames. Since my name is Johnny, uh, my goofy coworkers would call me Johnny Appleseed, or if I was late for work, they'd call me Johnny Come Lately. And Johnny Cupcakes came out of nowhere, and while I was getting T-shirts made for the, the hardcore band I was in, I thought it would be funny to make a couple shirts as a complete joke that said Johnny Cupcakes, uh, advertising a bakery that did not even exist, and I wore it to work. And all these slightly miserable customers that never made eye contact with me, they started laughing and saying, what is that? What's Johnny Cupcakes? Is that a bakery? Is that an adult movie store? Where can I get one of those shirts? And enough people asked me that I began, you know, making more T-shirts. And like I said, since I don't party, I, I would take my paycheck and, you know, I'd print 24 shirts. And when I'd sell out of them, I'd make 48 T-shirts and, uh, and I'd wear them and people would ask and the word of mouth really spread quickly. And, uh, the, the time that I realized, you know, while I was touring, my, my mom and my little sister would ship out t-shirts for me when I was touring and, um, love touring. It was great. But at one point I, I felt like I had to pick one or the other. I didn't want to half step the band and I didn't want to half step the t-shirts and something just really intrigued me about the unknown and taking that risk. So I, uh, you know, probably, probably three, probably three or four years into it, maybe three years into it, I, I decided to take it serious. So, but the first few years, it was a hobby and it just started growing. And then I was like, you know, I really gotta, I think I should leave the band and, and do this. So I left the band, focused on the web store. Uh, I used to do these things called Cupperware parties, which is like a Tupperware party, but with Johnny Cupcake shirts and, I would tell people, I'd say, hey, if, if you want a couple free T-shirts, all you have to do is invite me over to your house, your school, or your work, and uh, I'll set up a pop-up shop, and you can invite your friends to shop. And uh, and it was great, and that was going good. And at one point, I was like, all right, I'm going to open up a store. 
Um, I had to open up a store down the street from my parents' house because um, my parents' house was filled with my dad's cigarette smoke and people were returning T-shirts because they smelled like nicotine and um, and and they were all dusty and they had cat hair on it. I had someone that was allergic to cats that ordered a T-shirt and it was covered with cat hair and I learned about the importance of packaging then and everything was just trial and error and I, I don't think I'd have it any other way because it just you have a lot of fun war stories and you just know what to avoid and um and yeah, just went from there, decided to open a store down the street so I could have my own space, boat garage, then rented it out, um, kept things personal with the customers. That's the thing I've always done to this day is is just making time for people and giving people unique experiences. And I think that's what's really helped the brand build brand loyalty. And it was never really a marketing idea. It was just like, hey, thank you for buying a T-shirt and just having a conversation and it's just the way my parents brought me up and um you know people i've met over two thousand people around the world that have johnny cupcakes tattoos on their face their neck uh uh it's you know it's definitely creepy at first but after i talked to a few people and i realized some of them have been inspired to live a healthier lifestyle or to follow their passion or some of them met their best friend or significant other through the brand and uh it's been great so i Took the big risk, opened up in Boston on Newberry Street. I went from spending $700 a month on rent in my hometown to taking the big risk and, and spending seven to eight to nine thousand dollars a month on rent uh, without knowing what the heck was going to happen. And it was great though. You get what you pay for, and you know location is so important. It could make or break you. And Open up on Newberry Street in Boston, and that opening day, there were 400-plus people waiting in line to get these T-shirts, and it was a dream come true, and that was the turning point of the brand. I was able to hire my mom, my dad, my sister, my cousin, and we started doing things we never really thought we could do, and, um, and yeah, it was, it was great. It was really exciting, and, and my dad... Uh, you know, my dad, by having him involved, I've been able to spend more time with my family. And, you know, I think the main reason why I've never drank before is because my dad was an alcoholic growing up. And, you know, I he's been sober for more than a decade now. And it's amazing. It's like I have a brand new dad. And, um, and it's been great, you know, working with him. And when we went over to London to build out the store together for the Olympics, um, him and I spent two months just building out the shop and, uh, I've never seen my dad more happy. Was, when we got off the airplane, he was playing the clashes, London calling on his iPhone and just so excited to, he had never been to England before and my mom never, was never there either. I actually got felt, the, I'm, I'm sure he was like super, I'm sure he was like super proud, like to get to go. You have to look at the opening, uh, the grand opening video on YouTube of the Johnny Cupcakes London shop because there's a shot of him towards the end where he's just, he was so happy he was dancing all day and we caught him on film just dancing randomly and it was pretty, it's pretty priceless. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's that's, uh, that's what I do. I play tricks on hungry people for a living. And, <laughs> you, uh, you do like these, uh, you do these speaking engagements. Do you ever talk about 
does the learning, well, not the disability, but like the, the problem with learning, does that play a major role in your speeches, in your talks? Because I think people would get, would find a lot from that, you know, because so many people, school's just not for them, you know? Like, yeah. It's, too, I, well, it's crazy to think that every single person should learn the same exact thing and have the same exact time to complete those things and have the same minimal amount of attention from the teacher with their big classroom. It's, it's really, and then all these kids are being fed junk and they can't, they're bouncing off the walls from the sugar and they can't focus. And then their parents are made to think that they have to get these drugs to numb their kids. To It's just crazy. But uh, I, I never took anything to to better focus. I just, you know, I just started listening to classical music and turning off distractions and uh, and just getting extra help whenever I needed it. But um, but yeah, I, I do talk about it when I speak at high schools. I, I bring it up everywhere just a little bit, but it's, that's not the main thing of the talk. There's there's like seventy. 70 little nuggets of, of things that people can take with them um, to start or follow any passion that they have. And I, I never wanted to speak. I, this, my dad and I were building out the Boston shop um, 10 years ago. This professor from uh, Babson College, you know, popped his head in and learned about the brand. And he kept asking me to go speak to his class. But I kept saying, no, no, and I I finally did it, and I was really nervous, and I wore, like, extra deodorant, and it was the worst (laughs) experience ever, and I was like, I'm never going to do this again, and I received so many emails later that day from inspired teachers and and students, and and more people began asking me to speak, and I just started talking more and learning and getting a little little bit better than I was originally, and... um, and then some schools began doing case studies on the brand, and when those are required reading books and major universities, they all start reaching out, and, and it, then it got featured in some branding books that branding agencies and, and bigger companies uh, have their employees pick up. Um, those companies then start reaching out, so that's that's turned into its whole other other thing, and it's uh, it's great. I get to travel. I get to bring my magic tricks with me, and... Sometimes I get to sell T-shirts there too, so I essentially get to do a pop-up shop. And um, what's also great is sometimes we'll we'll be hired to almost act as a as a small design agency to design and, and brand a T-shirt event, and we'll remix their mascot or their their logo, and and we'll print these special edition T-shirts that you can only get at these different speaking events. You've always been a super positive guy so to me when i learned that you were doing those uh those speaking engagements it just made total sense to me like you should be in front of a crowd you should be giving off your energy to people yeah i well i appreciate that no i i i love it when i get these emails or calls from people that just stop getting so down on themselves and they started their own businesses or just again lived a started living a healthier lifestyle or being a little bit more positive. I feel like everybody's guilty of having um 
that friend who's not happy unless they have something to complain about. And that can be poison and it really, it, it really sucks the life out of you. And the more creative people you surround yourself with, the more positive people you surround yourself with, the more you're going to get done. And it really helps you live a, a more uh, fruitful, fruitful life every day. How do you go about getting these like big name collaborations? Like, how do you get, like, Simpsons on board? You know, like an itchy and scratchy shirt. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, when when we started, I, I would always poke fun at pop culture. And we still do that because it's funny to just add cupcakes to things and, you know. Um, but uh, what was our first big collaboration? I, I'd, I'd say Looney Tunes was our first big collaboration. And that actually came about because we had a we had a couple t-shirts that Warner Brothers or one t-shirt design that Warner Brothers was not happy with and they contacted me and they're like how many did you make and where'd you sell these and I was like well we only made a few and they're already sold out and they said why'd you only make a few and what is your brand and I told them the story and at the end of the talk they were like we think this is great we're gonna let this slide and if you ever want a tour of Warner Brothers, we're going to give you a tour of our Warner Brothers studios and let you work with any property you want. Um, I was like, whoa. So I actually called uh, my designer who worked on that, one of my designers who worked on that shirt. And I was like, hey, Warner Brothers wants to talk to you. Um, and he was very scared. And I didn't tell him until a day later that it was a joke, but um, that they were really happy. So when I went out to California, got the tour, we did those shirts. And after that, we started uh, really making time to do more big collaborations like that. Um, Hello Kitty was huge for us. Uh, the, the first time we did it, they Sanrio reached out to us. They saw our L.A. shop, and I guess we were on their radar, and they wanted us to do some Hello Kitty T-shirts. Um, that was unbelievable. We we generated quarter of a million dollars in sales within 24 hours with zero advertising. They posted these shirts on their Facebook fan page that had over 10 million crazy obsessed, uh, loyal, awesome Hello Kitty fans that uh, went to our website. Our website nearly crashed. People camped out in front of our stores, got the T-shirts, and um, and that was unbelievable. We, we thought something was broken, something was wrong, and and then we decided to do it again with the Ninja Turtles. Uh, we didn't really do it with the Ninja Turtles. That would be weird, but we collaborated with the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and we, uh, I, I got a call from uh, Viacom, which owns Nickelodeon, which owns Ninja Turtles. And the person's name from the licensing department was was actually Donatello. And I was like, hello, are you serious? Who is this? I, I thought it was a prank. But it was. Uh, they wanted us to do these Ninja Turtles T-shirts to build up some hype and excitement for the movie. So we put our Johnny Cupcakes twist on on our uh, on this merchandise. And when we released them, uh, it had to be more than that, though. So we decided to create an experience by having the Ninja Turtles themselves go out to our London store um, that we had at the time, our pop-up shop there, and surprise all of the customers that were waiting in line right off of Carnaby Street and. And uh, we got some great footage. We made a great video on YouTube. And, you know, just just adding those little things. see it all the time with with packaging, with uh, different records and 
Um, you know, you go to some restaurants, you'll see the menus printed on cork boards or I, I know nothing about the restaurant industry, but if I were to open up a restaurant, although it has nothing to do with the food, I would totally put this sound trigger in the trash can. So, you know, about uh, 10 seconds after you walk into the bathroom, uh, someone whispering or, or a crying baby comes from this this garbage but like some I want some some reaction and people to be like what the hell was that and even though it had nothing to do with the food people are going to tweet about it and tell all their friends and you got to go to that restaurant when you go in the bathroom there's different sound effects that come out of the garbage can and people will be like well, are you serious and they go and then they might sit down and eat and if they don't they leave with a story and they end up they end up advertising for us and um that's what I've always done. I've I've always taken our advertising budget and put it into building um, unique experiences so that customers end up doing the advertising for us. And I'd say the I'd say probably the most fun we've had was uh doing our Halloween releases. We'll release horror themed T shirts in October and we've gone as far as making these Halloween movie themed t-shirts like Count Spatula and Rise of the Two-Headed Zombie Chefs <laughs> and Robot so of Mars. And not only do we put those graphics on the shirts, but to go along with the movie theme, we went as far as packaging them in VHS tapes and branding the VHS tapes. So you open them up, you get your shirt, and you have a collectible. And then we've even gone as far as creating actual movie trailers for each of the of the fake movie titles and we had real actors and special effects people and uh we didn't even tell anyone we were releasing t-shirts we just made it this mystery and at the end of each movie trailer there were the dates and the location and and on that opening day we had you know our employees dressed up like zombies we had movies playing in the windows of the shops and at some halloween releases i've gone as far as renting out a hearse and a coffin that I would get delivered in at the grand opening of these uh, T-shirt releases to go along with that spooky feeling. And, you know, for me to spend, you know, 200 bucks renting a, you know, being delivered in a hearse off some creepy guy on Craigslist that I met, that is, that's cheaper than putting a full-page ad in a local magazine or newspaper. And uh, it actually stops every single person on Newbury Street in Boston to, and make them be like, what the heck is going on? There's a hearse in front of a bakery that doesn't even sell real food. I don't know what's going on, but let's go over there and figure this thing out. And uh, we even took that concept on the road. And going back to your original question, you know, how do the what do we do with these pop-up shops? Um, I did a tour around the U.S. once called the Johnny Cupcake Suitcase Tour, where I I purchased all these suitcases from the 1950s and to pay homage to the beginning of the brand when I'd sell shirts out of my own suitcase on tour, we would sell special edition T-shirts out of suitcases in different locations around the U.S. And then we did a remix of that a few years later around Halloween uh, in the fall. We did the Johnny Cupcakes Coffin Tour. And we drove around the U.S. and we sold T-shirts out of coffins and we set up every pop-up shop like a haunted house. And so the pop-up shops, it's great because I'll post on social media, hey, it's Johnny, you know, I'm looking to do some pop-up shops around the country. 
if you have a a home, a work, a school, uh, or, or any type of business, and you want to host us, shoot me an email here. And within minutes, I'll have emails from all these people around the world that want to host us for the pop-up shop. I'll do some research. I'll see if our brand fits with their business. Uh, you know, I'll see what type of following they have on social media because if we're going to be bringing, you know, hundreds of customers to their location, it would be cool if it was with another company, brand, business, restaurant, art gallery, sneaker store, record store uh, that has, uh, you know, a similar following. So uh, I'll hit everybody back. They usually want to host us for free because we are bringing a lot of new business to their existing business, and we're also doing that after work hours. So it's not taken away from any other business. It's actually adding to their business, and it's a really good trade-off. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've done them in art galleries, sneaker stores, bakeries, um, all over the place. And it's uh, it's great because every stop's different. You have very minimal costs. You're not tied into a lease. You get to test out different markets and you can theme it differently every single time. And if you want to take time off and you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. So I think pop-up shops are the way of the future. You know, I've had stores and, and I've, you know, the, the weighing them with pop-up shops, it's just, it's like night and day because you have, when you, it's great, you know. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, so like when you tour, you you can name your tours differently. You can offer different merchandise. You can work as hard as you want, or you could make the tour as short as you want. And well, Like those tours, like those living room tours that, that people have started doing. Like uh, I think John did one. Uh, Rocky Vadalato did one or does a bunch. Uh, the dude from Patriot of the Lions done a bunch. Like, yeah, um, play living, people live, hey, I want to play some living rooms and basements. And then you have all these kids, you know, right yeah, in, like, best. hey, you know, this is just, uh, it, it seems like if that's a viable option, that that's a, it's a no brainer to choose that option, I think. It is, especially even if you do want to open a permanent store, it's good to just try out to just know what you're getting yourself into, or at least to collect data on what your customers like and don't like. And, um, you Was know, there a market I, that surprised you? Phoenix, Arizona really surprised me. I've never seen a line as big in my life. It was bigger than a line at the in front of the Apple store or a queue of people in front of an Apple store. Um, Phoenix, Arizona definitely surprised me. Uh, you know, we had huge turnouts, a lot of spots, but yeah, Arizona was just really. Uh, San Francisco was really big, and you know, what we I know California is is good for us, but but yeah, that that definitely took us by surprise. It's really fun. I, I it would be cool to do. I've always wanted to do a garage tour where we do a pop-up shop in our customers' garages and almost set it up like a garage sale and, you know, just display the shirts like in really crappy ways. Uh, even have them send, have them all scented like WD-40 and, and, um, you know, like the Army Navy store. And, just like a 
there's like a ton of shoe boxes that people have to like rummage through to find yes, yeah. sizes and, broke, and designs. I broke uh, mothballs in there to, to make it smell like a thrift store. <laughs> and, um, That's so good. You know, still, so still good. charge, still have premium prices for them, but just give them this really just bizarre but awesome experience and and it, it that stuff makes it fun for yourself it makes it not feel like work it makes it fun for your employees and, and for your customers and it's like i said with any business you, you have to involve humor and you have to involve new experiences or else you, you're going to go brain dead and you're just not going to like what you do and, and i think that's something that's like unique to our culture too like I don't see mainstream people understanding that the way that we understand that. Like when you see, uh, I'll use Converge. Like when you see Converge in a garage to 30 people, that stays with you forever. And when they get bigger and bigger, you're like, yo, I remember this show. Yep. And like, you don't get that when you go to the mall and Old Navy. Like you just, you're never gonna get that. No matter what Old Navy does, no matter how cool their design is or their, you know, what they do in the shop, you're never gonna get that. You know, I remember going to a garage sale that Johnny set up. You know, or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh... I, I just think that's really unique to our like where what what we came out of. You know? Well, what I what I think it is is we and I'm I'm very thankful that I've been on that I've been on the cusp of seeing all this stuff happen. Like I when I was in high school, I had a pager. I had a pager that didn't work because I just wanted to have a pager to to fit in with my my troublemaking friends, and uh, yeah. it's just been interesting to see everything evolve, but. Before there was so much distraction and and I guess just noise, um, you know, when there were shows, we there wasn't a Friendster or a MySpace Music or which is all extinct now. There wasn't YouTube. Like you had to go out and and interact with people and hand things out and learn to take rejection from people that don't want your your flyers that you're passing out and and that really that really that's a really good experience to 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 be rejected at such a young age whereas now you know so many people are are just sheltered behind their computer screens and can say whatever they want and and block out whatever they want but you know back in the day it was great to just and I still do. I, I go out when I travel. If, if I'm speaking in New York City, or if I'm out there visiting, I'll bring a satchel of T-shirts, and I'll post on Twitter or, or Snapchat or whatever. I'll say, "Hey, I'm I'm in New York City. I'm at the corner of this street and that street. The first seven people to find me will get a free special edition T-shirt." And I'll just hang out, you know, at one in the morning, and people will come out. They'll get their T-shirts, and then I'll disappear like that, or. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I'll I'll say, hey, I'm in San Francisco, you know, meet me at this pizza shop at uh, three o'clock. If you show up with a Johnny Cupcakes T-shirt on, I'm gonna treat you to lunch, and I'll think maybe twelve people will show up, and then you know, three four hundred people show up. We have to bring the pizzas <laughs> to Union Square Park, and 
and that happened and it was awesome and i you know i i hung out all day and i gave pizza out to everybody and it wasn't even a marketing idea i just don't have many friends in san francisco and i want to hang out with my customers and and what is it to just buy a couple hundred bucks worth of pizza you know to make somebody's day that that is yeah and they they take that with them the rest of their lives yeah i always i always say that's like friends of ours and bands that like talk to their fans afterward like that matters so much to the fans oh, and it doesn't so matter to you at all so just do it <laughs> you know yeah it takes five minutes to shake a hand pose for a picture and say like hey thanks so much for coming out and enjoying our music or and you know thanks so much for liking my my designs it's you, so you have nothing to complain about if you have people like waiting outside <laughs> for you <laughs> And yeah, you exactly. can make exactly. or break their day. Exactly. And, and you can't screw up because for somebody to meet their heroes and have that terrible experience is uh, you know, it's it's scary and um it sucks, it's sad. But yeah. I uh you know, I I think another experience based thing that I went through when I was younger that you know, really stuck with me is uh when I was probably 12, 13 years old, I, yeah, I've i always loved Halloween. Uh, my parents have won Halloween contests every single year. Uh, one year, my mom and my dad dressed up like uh, Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake, and they, you know, <laughs> reenacting that Super Bowl thing. It was actually kind of traumatizing because my mom got like, you know, she got these fake plastic boobs from the costume store and um, my dad had a wig on and I had to drop them off at this costume, you know, party down the street. But, but those experiences were really fun. And then, then I learned about this band or these musicians, whatever you'd want to call them, um, that celebrate Halloween every single day. And when I was 12, 13 years old, I learned about Insane Clown Posse, and I, I was in heaven. I couldn't even believe how cool these guys dress up like clowns. They rap about Halloween to a, a 12, 13-year-old kid that loves Halloween. I couldn't even believe it. And I, I remember going to uh, an ICP show, my first ICP show. A few years later, you know, when I was still in high school, I was probably – maybe 16. I know my mom had to drop me off. So I think I must've been 15 or 16, but it was, it was their house of horrors tour. And it was at the Palladium in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I was the first person in first person in line. It was general admission. I got my ticket from strawberries and, you know, I'll let you in on a secret, but I, I, I didn't want to lose my spot because I had, I was right in the front. So I, when I had to go to the bathroom, I just peed my pants at the ICP show because I didn't want to, and I knew I was going to get soda on me. So it wouldn't even, you know, nobody would know that I just peed my pants, but, but I, I know just seeing their merchandise, they're all, they're huge printed t-shirts. Nobody was doing that stuff. And, and for them to just spend that much time, money and energy, putting on this show for their for their fans and whether you like them or don't they put on a great show there's kiss the band whether you like their music or not they dress up like clowns and perform rock and roll and um you know there's a few other bands 
nowadays, like a day to remember. I know they put on really great detailed shows for their customers and or their their fans. Um, not too many people do it, but if somebody's going to go out to a show and, and buy a ticket and support you and want to and want to see you again when you come around, um, whether you whether you make time to meet those fans or uh, or you throw stuff in the audience for free or you put on this you know wild show those, all those things stick with people forever and and it it makes them talk and again it makes it fun for you and and uh yeah but icp that that's and then i learned about and then where you come into the picture i learned about uh you know hardcore music and i i people would make fun of me for not drinking and and for not doing drugs and then i, I learned about straight edge and i was like what is this this is crazy and Still, you know, shows were this thing. You you didn't know about a show unless you found a flyer at a record store that wasn't already taken down by another person that was going to the show. And um, that was an interesting thing up- about it. About it back then. Sorry, I'm trying to keep cutting out. Uh, interesting thing about it back then also was you you would have like you had to go to the show before it to find out about the next one. Yeah, and it was it was like this secret society, and people came out of the woodwork, and you. You would. I I remember going to my first shows and being like, "How do these people know about it? This is this is so wild." And it and you had to. You had. It was such an in the moment thing. Like you wouldn't blink your eyes because you don't know when if you're going to find out about another show. So yeah, I learned about different types of music. Stopped listening to ICP. Started listening to heavier music. Um, you know, there were a lot of straight edge bands that I think were terrible. And I think, I think a lot of reasons people just listened to them was to say that they listened to them to prove that. I, I don't know what they want to prove, but yeah, there were some, <laughs> you cannot say that some of that stuff is good music, but you know, passionate lyrics. Yeah. But you got a lot of bands singing about friends and family and uniting and, it's like who doesn't like their friends and family? If you're gonna put seven tracks on an album talking about your friends and family, that's everybody likes their friends and family. You know what I mean? Isn't that such a? <laughs> I, I've always found that interesting. It's like, yeah, well, this is so obvious. It's like it's like <laughs> singing about the sky being blue. Like, of course, you know. But anyways, I, I uh, yeah, I found a New York Hardest Two compilation. And I learned about all these great bands on there. And the, the two bands that really stuck out to me were uh, were Candiria and Sons of Abraham. And it was it was it was different then, and it's still just as unique as it was back then. And it it didn't sound like anything. And you know, I heard a straight edge band that didn't sound like other straight edge bands, and it was and it was good. And uh, and then Candiria mixing in jazz and hip hop and uh, they're I don't unbelievable. They were such a good band. It was. I, I think their both bands were way ahead of their times. And um, you know, unfortunately, I, I didn't never had a chance to see Sons of Abraham. And I, I don't know if I, I might have seen Candiria once, but um, but yeah, that that compilation was great and got into that music and then toured was in the band uh and then i just I, I was never a violent person so when i would see violence at shows i just that was a big turn off and 
I don't know. I, I'm a big family person, so being away from my family for a long time kind of sucked. And being in accidents and never being financially stable, that was fun for, you know, a couple of years. But I, I wanted to... I wanted to try new things and it just, you know, hanging out with your best, best pals was definitely fun. But, uh, but yeah, I got out of that and now I just, I listen to jazz and music from the forties and hip hop from the nineties. And, um, you know, I, Deftones is my favorite band. I still, still listen to Deftones, but, um, but nothing too, nothing too heavy. I still have trouble picturing you in on broken wings, like personality wise. Like <laughs> I was always the odd man out. I again I didn't party, I wasn't violent. I would be running around doing magic tricks and you know, making T shirts with cupcakes on them. Two very opposite things. probably the most the strangest things that you would ever see witness <laughs> at a hardcore show would be someone doing magic tricks and somebody selling t-shirts with cupcakes on them and i don't maybe it's maybe it's been successful because that stood out so much and it was so different and weird and and unique but i uh what was really cool about opening that store on newbury street in boston and taking that risk was um people from all walks of life would see my t-shirts and and i could see their reactions to them and and all of a sudden it wasn't just hardcore kids with tattoos wearing Johnny Cupcakes t-shirts. It was, you know, moms, dads, kids, uh, you know, chefs, all people from all walks of life. And yeah. I think when, when you start any business, you know, if you start out trying to only appeal to a certain audience, that that's nice and everything. But if you plan on growing it and, and having it be a full-time thing, you know, you, you can't label yourself one thing or another. Um, it, it can really stunt your growth. Yo, man, I uh, I needed to work, and uh, oh. I know you're a busy guy, <laughs> so I'm gonna let it uh, let you go. Hey, it was great, great chat, and I I think your concept of of uh, having a podcast podcast while you're driving is, is very <laughs> clever. So I hope thanks, you thanks. keep it up, and and uh, yeah, we'll chat with you soon, or maybe it will, <laughs> we'll hang out next time I go to Long Island. Yeah, please, please, definitely let me know. Yo, thank you so much for taking time out to do this, man. It really it means a lot, man. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, anything you need. You're a jerk, Neil.